welcome back to this, the Barbarians Podcast, episode 27, After Rome. We look at what comes next for the Visigoths after their famous sack of Rome in 410 CE. The Goths need to find a new path to safety and security within Rome that will have permits, since their failure to use the city of Rome as a bargaining chip with the empire the previous three years. Alaric and his Visigoths are moving south, away from Rome, after three days of plundering the city. The riches of the historic center of the empire have filled their wagon train as they begin to figure out what will be next. In the short term, Alaric is focusing on entering Roman lands that have not been ravaged by the invasions of various Gothic barbarians the last decade, which means going south of Rome. He enters into the province of Campania and captures the cities of Capua and the city of Nola, which is today inside the city of Naples proper. One treasure that they carry away with them is that of Galla Placidia, the half-sister of the Emperor Honorius of the Western Roman Empire. The capture of a high-ranking Roman figure only adds to the emotional maelstrom that is going through most Roman minds at this time. The mindset of all Romans at this time is one of shock because of the sack of Rome. The reality of the historic capital of Rome falling to an uncouth barbarian horde, which we know is really not true, but that is how the Visigoths are characterized at this time. The Roman sense of superiority was rampant throughout the empire, even at this stage in the evolution of the empire. Despite all of the raids of the barbarians in the last 25 years, the Romans have endured and dealt with these issues. The Romans have always had a large sense of themselves throughout their history, and this confidence persisted even despite the looming threats that the empire has faced recently, despite the pending crash of the Western Empire. Even the generation of Romans still believed this despite that they have grown up in the wake of Fritigern and his Goths crossing of the Danube 25 years ago, and the various raids by barbarians throughout the empire. The city of Rome has endured, and by extension, the legacy of Cincinnatus, Caesar, Augustus, Marcus Aurelius, and others has endured as well. They viewed the Goths as an uncivilized barbarian horde that were unorganized heathens who were sent by the devil himself to bring punishment upon the unfaithful. This narrative is common throughout history, but it is certain interesting now because of the preponderance of both influential pagans and Christians at this time. The Roman aristocracy predominantly still held on to old Roman gods of the past with some twists here and there. The Christians were the majority of the poorer portions of the empire, but included the emperors and their courts. They both thought that the gods, or God, were punishing the Romans for not being faithful enough while the barbarians and the Visigoths were running around the empire. But still, Rome persisted. When Rome finally did fall to the barbarians, both groups of Romans were at a loss of what to do. Both groups thought that the sack of Rome was an extension of the gods, or God, punishment. Many groups thought that the end times were being ushered in, which we have discussed before is a common thought throughout history and certainly in our narrative here. So the empire is reeling, and the famous authors and figures of the day are consumed by the fall of Rome and its implications, as they see it for the rest of the empire and world. So to give a little context in what exactly happened with the Romans after the fall of Rome, uh, to explain 
the influence of Roman refugees on various chroniclers and figures I just briefly mentioned. Many of the upper-class Romans had fled the chaos of the previous three years to still loyal African provinces. As many of these influential citizens were indeed still pagans, it creates an environment, including the port city of Hippo, the home of St. Augustine, where he feels that Christianity is under assault on several fronts, including this influx of important refugees from the Eternal City. Now, Hippo is in northern Africa, modern-day Tunisia. Now, St. Augustine's magnum opus, City of God, completed in 425 CE, contributes the first uh, three of the 22 books, which were probably finished around 413, to answering the catcalls of these pagan Romans and their claims that Rome was sacked because of the abandonment of the ancient gods. Some of the examples that Augustine uses to refute the pagans that are pointing out all the negative things to beset Rome prior to the birth of Christ. Like, for example, the sacking of Rome by the Celts. The city of God will go on to have a major influence in Christianity as the community around the Mediterranean, which, remember, is the extent of the religion at this time. They are looking for answers to an event that is catastrophic. Which, I did not grow up Roman Catholic, but... The city of God plays an even more prominent role in the Vatican's theology than just Christianity at large. It certainly had an influence on all Christianity. But without doing a whole dissertation on Augustine's work, the main ideas are that the physical world is not where faith will be rewarded. The real reward will be in heaven, and the physical destruction of the city of Rome really does not matter to the faithful. This notion of the real reward in heaven has part of its roots in this work from this time period. The concept is something that all Christians can recognize in their religion today. We can, in part, thank the Visigoths for this idea. There are multiple other themes expressed in the City of God that changed how Christianity was thought about and practiced that many would recognize today, but if you are interested in something more than just a cursory look at not just the City of God, but Christian history, Check out History of Christianity podcast or the Pontifex podcast. Uh, obviously, you can find those where all good podcasts are. And they really do a nice job of doing the history and in-depth analysis of those ideas. So, all right, around the Roman world, everyone is talking about the fall of Rome and what this means to them and to history, not just St. Augustine. So we're just going to check in quickly with a couple other famous writers and figures at this time and get some comments about our sack of Rome. So St. Jerome, who is in Bethlehem, gives the quick quip, if Rome can perish, who is safe? Theodosius II, the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire in Constantinople, declared three days of mourning for the city of Constantinople after the sack of Rome. Paulus Orosius, a Roman Christian from Hispania, who would actually study under both St. Augustine and St. Jerome, also wrote extensively about the Visigoths, including the sack of Rome. He also made the claim that Rome was sacked by the heathen Goths because of the lack of morals of the city of Rome, including their continuous flirtation with paganism. As much Rome would be on the tongues of the people of the empire, it would result in no significant loss strategically to the empire nor a real gain for the Visigoths. 
Remember, the capital of Rome now, for all intents and purposes, is in Ravenna. The eastern capital is still Constantinople and still only slightly affected by these machinations happening in the west. All right, so let's go back to our Goths and see what their new goal is going to be after the failure of their previous goal with the sack of Rome. They're moving south, taking Capua and laying siege briefly to Neapolis, or modern-day Naples, as they move into Lusania and then Calabria. The Visigoths were planning to set to sea and leave the Italian peninsula. They were probably headed to North African region of the empire, that is modern-day Tunisia, the area that Priscus Attalus refused to allow Alaric to conquer with Gothic troops the prior year. This would accomplish multiple goals for the Visigoths. One would be to be able to feed the large number of people that were moving with the army, which could have been over 100,000 people at this point. The breadbasket of the empire could easily feed this size of people if it could feed a large portion of the empire. A second objective that this would accomplish is that it would weaken the Romans considerably by denying them access to food that they could not produce without northern Africa. Third, this part of the empire may be an area that the Visigoths could use as leverage to secure themselves a place within Roman society. It is an important part of the empire because of the food production, and therefore one could pull some strings, if need be, with this province. So to North Africa, the Visigoths go. They have made a navy by buying some boats, stealing, and otherwise acquiring some vessels as per their usual plundering means. The Visigoths either set sail from the boot of Italy and encountered a storm that forced them back to the shore, or the storm destroyed their ships before they could embark. Either way, the Visigoths tried to leave the Italian peninsula for North Africa, but weather stopped them. So now Alaric and his people are in Calabria, the very southern tip of the Italian boot, and are facing the same problem they've had for years now. They can no longer leave the peninsula, and they cannot stay in one place long, or they will scrape all the food from the land they are in in a short amount of time. They therefore head north again to come up with another plan for the future. As the Goths would move north, tragedy would strike them. Alaric, the reek of the, or the king of the Goths, since after the Battle of the Frigidus in 395, would catch a fever and die. The Gothic king was in his early to mid-forties and would leave his people devoid of the historic leader that had brought many of its enemies to their knees. A man of such a legacy would deserve a special burial and remembrance, and his people would oblige him. The Bocento River, a small river that is a tributary of the Crotty River, would be diverted so that Alaric and certainly a large amount of treasure would be laid to rest. The river would then be allowed to flow back to its natural course, forever obscuring the resting place of Alaric. <clears throat> the Visigoths, who would, for good reason, be concerned that Alaric's burial place would be vandalized or victimized by looters, then killed all of the slaves that were tasked with the excavation work, forever hiding the burial of this legendary goth. Now, this part of the story is not historical, as the type of burial tells us a couple things. First, the burial under a river has its roots in their life north of the Danube, as many Scythian legends have the same type of burial for some of their esteemed figures. Secondly, the Goths were not planning on staying on the peninsula if they were worried about people finding the burial place and ransacking it. So we know that they couldn't 
they knew that they couldn't protect the burial site. So they might have done something like this. We do not even know to what extent this burial could be historically true, but it has confounded treasure hunters near the modern Italian town of Consentia since 410. Alaric has been considered a key figure in Roman history for a multitude of reasons. He has been in our story for quite a while now, over 15 years, where we first met him back in episode 20, during our short-lived Gothic rebellion against Rome in the year 391. He must have been a dynamic leader in order to lead his people in this revolt at the young age of 21. Be defeated, lead his people in the Battle of the Frigidus, where half of his troops are killed, then form an alliance of various Goths and other groups, under the banner of the Visigoths, to rebel again in 395. During this rebellion, he takes several important cities, especially in Greece, including Athens, only to be defeated again, only to rebel again in 401. In that rebellion, he actually invades Italy and is defeated again, badly, including the devastating Battle of Verona, where he sees some of his people defect to the Romans under his political rival, Saurus. Yet he is able to keep the bulk of his people together as they move to lands in Pannonia and Noricum. He leads another rebellion that sees him fight off the Romans and lay siege to the Eternal City three times in 20 months with the last siege leading in the famous sack of Rome of 410. All through this time, the ups and the many downs of his people, Alaric was able to stay in power and keep his people together, or at least enough as to force Roman officials to take his rebellion serious and to even defeat many Roman armies. Despite the odds, Alaric accomplished much with his reign as the Visigothic Greek. But his accomplishments meant little if his people could not find a place within Roman society that would provide them the safety and security Alaric had always worked for, but had failed. So, the Visigoths, once again, are facing incredible obstacles as they now elect Alaric's brother-in-law, Atawulf, they continued to move north, seeking a new strategy for safety and security of their people. Athelwulf, the new Reek, and his people seem not to have given up on trying to sail to Africa yet, and they apparently made some plans to attempt to acquire more ships from Naples through the winter. As the spring weather of 411 would break, Athelwulf and his people will need to decide how to progress. They will spend the better part of 411 plundering and looting the Italian countryside once again, as they watch other events in the Roman Empire unfold to help them decide their next course of action. And that is where we will leave it at this time. Next time, we will take a look at those Roman events of 411 and how they will influence the Visigoths' decision and history itself. So some of the resources that I use for this week's episode include Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, Historia Nova by Zosimus, which I was able to use a little this episode, but unfortunately, the rest of the writing is lost to history, so we will have to say goodbye to the source. Goths and Romans, 332-489 to by Peter Heather. The Goths by Herwig Wolfram. History of the Later Roman Empire, From the Death of Theodosius to the Death of Justinian I by J.D. Burry. And The Fall of the Roman Empire by Peter Heather. So if you like this show, please give a review on iTunes, Podbean, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews, as many of you already know, have a real impact on how many and who gets to be exposed to this podcast. 
Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for more information and resources about our barbarians, including several images and maps associated with this week's episode. And a big thank you for listening. I will see you next time.